Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. scripture for today's teaching is Mark 8, 1 through 21. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is the word of God to us. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Hey, thank you so much for... That reading and uh, and the cheerful affirmation coming from over here. You guys okay? Hey, it's good to see you guys today. My name is Chad Kinser, and uh, it's a privilege to join you. And um, this is my last time uh, to be with you guys uh, as as the Burkharts have been out on sabbatical. Um, but we're talking about people who are in the room today. It's good to see you guys. Glad you're back. Um, hey, we love you guys as a church, and uh, this this congregation has been a joy to get to step in and serve with with your team and elders, and they've prayed for you, we've prayed for you, um, but they're really glad to have, have you back. So uh, no more me, Andrew's back, which is, which is much better. So uh, today we're, we're going to be jumping into this passage in Mark chapter 8 that was just read. So if you've got a Bible, uh, open there to Mark 8, and, uh, and then I want to pray, 
see how God would shape this time, and uh, we'll get to work. Sound good? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Father, we come today uh, before, before your word that endures forever. And we come today in the name of Jesus, your son. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us understand today for the variety of ways we're coming into this room anxious or doubting, skeptical, nervous, afraid, um, the host of emotions that have uh, swirled about this week, places where our faith feels fractured, places where our faith feels strong. God, we, we come to you in all those places. And this word, we want to say we submit to it, not because um, we ourselves have the power to do that, but we submit to you because you have the power to change us. You have the power to hold us. You have the power to form us. And so, God, I pray that today you would speak to us by this word, you would form us by this word, and you would anchor us in and around your son, Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Hey, do you guys remember uh, this movie back in the early 90s uh, with Bill Murray, Groundhog Day? You remember this movie? Uh, mo- admittedly, like the, the, the lamest, most irrelevant illustration I've used to start a sermon maybe ever. Um, but the whole point of this movie, if, if you haven't seen it, you, you may be better off. But uh, th- this movie, it was of a guy who was reliving the same day as the day before, day after day, uh, sort of endlessly, you know, and he was like in this sort of like hellish cycle of deja vu that just could, he could never get out of. And the whole point of the movie was that he would learn lessons about life, learn lessons about the kind of person he was supposed to become, about contentment and circumstances by living the same day over and over again, and that would break the cycle, right? Well, I I bring that up today because the section of the book of Mark we're in is, is a bit like Groundhog Day. Um, this section that we're landing in here today, uh, we're seeing this string of events play themselves over almost exactly as we've already read them uh, in, in previous sections. So if you read through the second half of chapter 6 all the way through our passage today, it reads as though Mark is repeating himself just to see if you're paying attention. Uh, I, I had a friend one time that had to turn in weekly reports uh, to, 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 to those his supervisors at work, and he would just throw, occasionally he would throw in like um, cookie recipes or, uh, or, or lines from his favorite movies just to see if he were actually, his reports were actually being read, uh, and turns out that they, they weren't being read, and he would just throw bizarre things in there. Like they ask for these reports every week, they're not actually reading them. Mark is doing this to kind of grab our attention to go, are, are you pacing? Are, are, are you with us here in this? He's intending for us to think to ourselves, didn't I just read that? Didn't that just happen? And if we were to have a conversation with the gospel writer, he would turn to us and go, yes, you did. You did just read that. And I hope by now you're starting to get the point. Let me show you what I mean by this repetition, this bit of uh, Groundhog Day. So uh, in Mark 6, verse 30 to 737, here's the sequence of events you get that we've just walked through. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He crosses the sea. You might remember he walks on water there. And then he has this confrontation, this argument and debate with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And then he heals this man that was deaf and mute. And he has this whole spitting routine that he did that with. He covered that uh, a couple weeks ago. 
And <laughs> this is one of those moments where also like the WWJD bracelet doesn't work. Like leave the spitting and the healing to Jesus, right? That's not something that we're supposed to imitate. But then you have the end of that section end with this confession of Jesus as Lord. In 37, it says, surely he does all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear, right? And the Gentiles confess him. Now, beginning in chapter 8, the same sequence of events plays over again. Jesus is going to feed the 4,000. He's going to cross the sea. There's a confrontation with the Pharisees. He's going to heal a blind man again with this spitting routine. And then Peter is going to confess Jesus as Lord. And that's going to be where you are next week. So there's this sequence of events playing over again. Mark is doing this on purpose, showing us what's happening in the life of Jesus to teach us something. And right in the middle of our passage today, Jesus is going to ask this question. You have eyes to see, don't you? You have ears to hear, don't you? Do you understand what's happening? Do you understand what's going on? And when you read that, as we get to it in a moment, it's not just as though Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples back then. That question and those lines, if we read it honestly, are as alive and active today as they were in that conversation. It's as though he's locking eyes with us and saying, you have eyes to see, don't you? You have ears to hear, don't you? Are you seeing what's happening in the kingdom of God? So here's how we're going to break this down today. We're going to make quick work through the first 13 verses just to sort of set us in the moment, get us in the scene of what's happening. And then we'll turn to verses 14 to 21 because Jesus is actually going to interpret this passage for us. He's going to drop it in our laps and make some applications. So if you've got a Bible, uh, 8 verse 1, and we'll get into the scene. It says, in those days when again, and that's an important word there because it's suggesting to us, yes, this is happening again. This is not a different account of the same event that's already happened. This is happening again, even though it looks much the same. A great crowd had gathered, and when they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days, and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come far away. And his disciples answered him, and this is amazing, how can someone feed these people with bread in such a desolate place? It's like the disciples have no memory of what's happened two weeks ago. Like they haven't seen this before. They turn to Jesus and they go, how could someone possibly feed thousands of people uh, with just a few loaves of bread? As though... What they've experienced before never happened. Notice how Jesus responds to them. He asked them, how many loaves do we have? And if the disciples didn't cue into this point, at this point they should have gone, oh man, you've asked us that question before. We know what you're doing here. I know exactly. This is the exact same question Jesus asked them before feeding the 5,000. And they should have cued in, but, but they didn't. They said seven. And so now it says in verse six, So he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these should also be set before them. Again, all of this is reading with exactly the same language as it happened two chapters ago. 
And it says, they all ate and they were satisfied. So again, not a little snack. This wasn't a little lunchable. This was a full meal. They were completely satisfied. Everyone had their fill of what they wanted to eat, so much so that in verse 8, it says, they took up broken pieces of leftovers, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and they sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So this is, this is the setting of what's happened, a replaying of a sequence of events. Now, just like what happened before, he goes across the sea to the district of Dalmanutha, and then he has this confrontation with the Pharisees. Pick up in 11. It says the Pharisees came, and they started to argue with him. Notice what they're arguing about. They sought a sign from him from heaven to test him. Now, here's what's crazy about this. What's Jesus been doing this entire time? It's been sign after sign after sign after sign. They've, he's healed uh, so many people. He's cast out demons and released those who were oppressed. He's taught as one with authority, and they have been themselves the one to say that. You teach in a way that we've never heard anyone teach before. And then he keeps having miracle after miracle, and people are released one after another. He's healing on the Sabbath, and they're confronting him about healing on the Sabbath. And he says, don't talk to me about the Sabbath. I'm the one that created the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It was my idea in the first place. Don't tell me how it works. Over and over again, it's been one sign after another, and they come to him, and they go, okay, okay. But if you could just give us a sign. Have you ever had a moment like that, though? There's something of here that we can relate to in the Pharisees. Maybe in a moment of darkness or of confusion, you're like, if God could just give me a sign, as though that would cure everything as though he hasn't given evidence of himself before, right? But notice what's going to happen here. Jesus is going to respond, and he sighed deeply, as if to look back at them and go, are we still having this conversation? Are we still doing this? And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Jesus responds, and he goes, I'm not going to play your game." As though, as though the point of the miracles is the miracle themselves, as though what I'm doing when I'm healing somebody is just performing a magic trick. And, and this, is, this is actually a beautiful teaching here on why Jesus performed miracles. I'm not going to perform a sign just to flex my power. When Jesus came and performed miracles or healed people, he was doing so as an act of ministry because he's bringing the kingdom of God. It wasn't just like, hey, let's, let's do a cool trick over this person. I'm going to proclaim the kingdom of God, a God who loves, a God who heals, a God who comes close, who's not distant, and then I'm not just going to proclaim it to you. I'm going to demonstrate it because I care for your whole being. I care for you as a whole person. You're not just a token. We're not just tokens of divine power where he flexes on us to prove his point. Because I'm actually caring for people. They're, they're not projects. They're image bearers of the most high God. So I'm not just going to perform a sign for you because I can. And so it says he left them, he got into the boat, and he went to the other side. And so this is the setting. This is what's happening here. Now Jesus is going to drop this on us. He's going to interpret all of this for us. Pick up in 14. It says, now they had forgotten to bring the bread. These disciples and the bread, it's unbelievable. They'd forgotten to bring the bread. In this most ironic line in the whole passage They only had one loaf with them in the boat, yet they have the one in the boat who keeps giving loaves to thousands, right? And he cautioned them, saying, Jesus cautioned them. He says, hey, I want you guys to watch out. 
I want you guys to be aware. I want you guys to lock in here. I want you guys to be on guard. Pay close attention because there's this leaven of the Pharisees and there's this leaven of Herod and I want you to watch out for it. In Jesus' day, leaven was a way of talking about the influence of evil in the world. It was a common way people would talk about the influence of darkness in the world. And he's saying there's a, there's a darkness to the religious leaders. There's a darkness to the skeptic, Herod, the king who had John the Baptist beheaded. There, there's this darkness, and I want you to be aware of it because it's not just darkness in them. It's not just the influence of evil in them. It's also in you. Be aware of those temptations inside of you to not believe in God because he's not doing things the way you'd want him to. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of this temptation to reject God and bypass him because he's not playing things out in the way you would prefer. Beware of the leaven of Herod, the skeptic, the political skeptic, where he had tempted, he, there, this temptation to not believe in God because you'd rather hold on to what's comfortable than yield to the authority of the Most High. Beware of this because it's in you too. We're going to come back to this. This is really important. But pick up in 16. It says, so they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said, why are you guys talking about the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand Are your hearts hard? You have eyes, don't you? Can't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? Do you not yet remember? And so Jesus is saying, you guys keep talking about bread as though that's the point of all of this. Leaven, bread, yeast, rising, loaves, the whole thing. He's saying, you keep talking about bread as though the point of my ministry in the world is to make sure everyone has something to eat. That's only part of what's going on here, physical provision and he gets a father tone with them, like those moments where you know you've been like cornered by someone in authority and you have no way to wiggle out of it, so you just give the one-word answer in response because you know they're right. So Jesus jumps in. Hey, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. <laughs> and for the seven, for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. He says, okay, do you not yet understand? The point of the passage is this warning against the influence of the Pharisees and of the skeptic. To start demanding a sign from God as though he's there to serve you. To start demanding a sign from God as though you're the point of your life and he's just there as a cosmic butler to go retrieve for you your wildest dreams and to protect for you from your worst fears. And he's saying, hey, watch out for all of this because it's in all of us. But here's the central problem. The frustration, the angst, the doubt that everyone is experiencing is that they're all having these conversations about the kingdom of God. They're all debating about the nature of God, but all the while, they're missing the fact that he's standing right there in front of them. They're missing it. So they're debating about the bread. They're freaking out because they only have one loaf in the boat and they forgot to pick up the leftovers when the bread of life is sitting there in the boat. 
The Pharisees are making this all about Jesus fitting into their religious forms and structures. Herod is making all of this about political influence and him not losing power. Everyone is debating about something else, but they're not dealing with the man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is trying to help them see through this conversation about bread and leaven, don't you see that all of this is flowing from me? Where do you think this bread's coming from? Don't you see that I'm the true sustenance? Like, I'm the thing that's actually making people whole. It's not so much that we're giving away freebies. It's that they've been in the presence of God. I'm true life. And they keep trying to make all of this about so many other things, but they're neglecting the most obvious thing, dealing with the man, Jesus Christ. And so now here's where this account starts to drop in your lap and in mine. Here's where this whole thing starts to connect dots to you and to me, because don't we do much of the same thing? Don't we have this tendency to get distracted by so many other things as though they're the point? Think about the topic of our cultural conversations. Think about the topics of so many of your deepest concerns. So cultural conversation is swirling around sexual ethics, how much do we accept? How much do we affirm? How, how can we make sure no one gets excluded, everyone is included? And how, how far do we push our consciences to make sure that no one is offended? Politics, the cultural conversation around politics, like is it red, is it blue? Which side of the aisle are you on? Is it vaccines, no vaccines, masks, no masks? And it's like bombing the other side all the time as though families are now being torn apart because they can't agree and people are writing off friends, canceling friends because they're not even having a civil conversation around this, breaking the world open through politics. Or then it's religious life, right? That if the institution of religion, is, which has failed at all together, we're on the wrong side of history. If you don't negotiate, massage, and change your message, you'll be left to the side altogether. Then you have your own personal concerns. Money, career, advancement, trajectory upward and to the right. Living an Instagrammable life where maybe my life might not be perfect, but just so long as people see it a certain way with the right filters and the right pictures and the right experiences and they comment and they like and they're around me the right way, then maybe that I can be seen in a way that I want to be seen despite the fact that when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I can't deal with the version of myself that I know is most true. But so long as they see it different, then I can feel better about myself. But like the Pharisees, we're seeking a sign from all these things. Can something out there, all these other things around the person of Jesus, can something out there break open life for me? And yet, we've done this, we've tried all of this, and we still are the way we are. We still are where we are. And isn't this how the cycle of the flesh works? So like, we often think that the problem is not me. The problem is not the things that I'm chasing in order to have life broken open for me. The problem is that I don't have enough stuff. So the problem isn't what I'm chasing. The problem is I don't have enough of it. The problem's not with a love of money. The problem's I don't have enough money, so I'll give myself more to it. The problem is that uh, isn't my distorted sexual appetites. The problem is I don't have enough porn, and so we're arousing ourselves to death. We're debating ourselves to death. We're arguing ourselves to death. We're getting on the rat race 
The problem isn't me or the things I'm after. The problem is I don't have enough. And so we keep circling the wagons of the same old things, winding up with the same old results, wondering why we are the way that we are. And yet then there's work under the work, isn't there? Because what is it that we're trying to break open? All of us are trying to break something open to get to something of fulfillment and peace. And so we're trying to break open a sense of pleasure. Surely if I can push the boundaries far enough, if I can just question enough, and if I can have different experiences, then I'll find there's a pleasure out there that's being withheld from me, and then, then I'll truly have what I'm looking for. We're trying to break open peace and meaning. And so I can find that through money and more of it and career and advancement. We're seeking stability and significance. If I can just have political persuasion the right way, and if I can just win the debates, and if I can just have all of the talking points from my favorite news channel the right way, and if I can comment the right way on social media, and if I can win the arguments at the water cooler, then we can have a stabilized and shared worldview. Maybe it's peace and self-worth. We're trying to break it open. And so we get on this treadmill of the approval of other people, doing whatever it takes to be accepted, to be one, to be thought of, grasping for the good life. But here's what's happening in the middle of all of that. This text stands here. <laughs> in the middle of all these pursuits, this text stands here. This sequence of events is repeating itself. It stands here. And here's what it's suggesting to us loud and clear. What if what we're seeking so desperately from everything this world has to offer has already been broken open for us? Hey, what if what we're trying to grasp for with everything that we can find and everything that we can grab a hold of has already laid its life down, leather laid his life down for us, but where it's going to come is dealing with the man, Jesus Christ. It's going to come dealing with him. So, so maybe just to pull it back this way to ask you some questions, is it, is it pleasure you're looking for? Is it self-worth you're looking for? Is there anything more dignifying than the Son of God laying his life down for you, that you have it anew? Is there anything more dignifying than that? That God would see your life as so precious, as so special, as so worth it, that he would send his son to offer up his own life that you might have it anew. Is there anything more stabilizing? Is it security that you want? Is there anything more stabilizing than the body of Jesus being crushed in your place and in my place for our treason against the most high God so that every promise of God would now belong to us? Is anything more stabilizing than that? You say, what are the promises? That he'll never leave you or abandon you. That he'll always provide for you. That he'll never let you go. He'll never lose you. And he promises, I will get you home. I'll get you home. That sin will not get the last word of you, but the verdict of Jesus will stand for you. That he'll comfort you and he'll fight for you in every sorrow. Does anything stabilize you like that? Is there anything more pleasing than being adopted by God the Father through the work of God the Son and all of that being sealed up and assured to you by the work of God the Holy Spirit to prove that there is nothing that can ever separate you from his love. 
Is there anything more nourishing for this life and all eternity than the bread of life himself being broken open? We spend our life trying to break life open by a thousand other things, but the bread of life himself has been broken open and offered to us so that through every high and stormy gale, our anchor could hold within the veil on Christ the solid rock. We stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so what Jesus is announcing to his disciples in this passage is the same thing he's still speaking to all of us today. You're not going to find life in acquiring Jesus as a beautiful religious side piece, but still trying to break it open with a thousand other things somewhere else. It's not going to be Jesus plus. This was the Pharisees. This is the leaven of the Pharisees. It was Jesus plus morality. Look at, look at our 614 laws and commands that we keep religiously with all kinds of devotion. We have laws upon God's laws. And look at our morality. Surely God is in debt to us because of how committed we are. It's not Jesus plus morality. It's not Jesus plus politics. This is the leaven of Herod. That if I can just have my, my politics locked down and co-opt Jesus to be a mascot for me, then the world will be just so. It's not going to be Jesus plus. It's not going to be Jesus plus a perfect marriage and family. Jesus plus my career and advancement. Jesus plus my bucket list and having a world of experiences. Jesus plus finding the perfect spouse. It's not like any of those things are wrong, but Jesus has to be the center. And if those things come, they come out of formation with him, not I'm going to attach those things to him as though that's the cocktail for life. And so if life could be found... Maybe to bottom line it this way. If life could be found in those things that we pursue so hard, wouldn't we have found it by now? If life could have really been found in religiosity and obedience to commands, wouldn't the Pharisees have found it by then? If life could really be found in politics and having your candidate in the right place, in the right seat, at the right time, for the right moment, then wouldn't we have already unlocked the world by now? If life could be broken open in all these other things, then why did Jesus come? Much less die in our place. Maybe it's because life can't be found in those things and he alone has to be the center. If you abide in him, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, you see. And so Bill Murray was in this movie called The Groundhog Day (laughs) where everything played over again and again and again until he learned what he was supposed to learn. And sometimes God repeats himself too. God will repeat himself so that we don't miss him like he's doing in this text. And so Jesus says, I want you to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I want you to be aware of the influence of the skepticism in the world. I want you to be aware of all the things that are pressing in on you that tempt you to miss God because those temptations don't take vacations. I want you to be aware. And the repetition of this passage, the repetition of this sequence of events is telling us this. We have to deal 
with the man, Jesus Christ. And so the place I want to drop this today is where are you being invited to deal with him? Here's what I know in my life, and I don't think we're too different. Very often there's a place in my life where I know that I should be having a conversation with God that I'm trying to avoid, so I'll just keep myself busy a thousand other places. Or here's what I'll do. I'll have enough of the conversation and deal enough with that area that I know he's trying to work as if to justify myself, get the monkey off my back, but not fully deal with it by keeping myself busy with things that I think God would want me to do. When all that we're doing is we're avoiding the man, Jesus Christ. The invitation is to come to him. He, he receives us with grace, not a fist. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to see? Would you help us to hear? Would you help us to understand all the places and all the ways that we're trying to break open life somewhere else while just adding you to the midst of a lot of other pursuits? Would you forgive us, God, for the ways that we bypass you? Would you forgive us where we're content to just have you as a side piece but really have our sense of self and fulfillment and pleasure and meaning somewhere else? Jesus, we want to confess with the global church today that you are Lord. Life is only found in you. You are the fountainhead of all truth. You are the fountainhead of life. You are the fountainhead of our own sense of self and direction. And so, God, I pray that you would anchor us once again in your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.